The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all this great weekend. Good morning, Scott. You know, it was interesting. I was thinking you guys when uh, I was reading a piece, uh, I can't even remember where he was speaking, but former finance minister Bill Morneau was speaking and, and came right out. It was very blunt. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically said something along the lines of, you know, Canada or the prime minister or this government has uh, it seems to be more interested in re, uh, the redistribution of wealth than it does seem interested in creating a prosperous country, which I thought was a pretty interesting statement to hear from a former finance minister. Your thoughts? Yeah, actually, I thought I, I read the exact same article, Scott, and it's kind of, int- you know, at the end of the day, NDP is definitely all about redistributing wealth. That's mm-hmm. socialism at its best right there is try to even out the playing field. So, you know, the rich get less rich and the poor get more, you know, well off. Um, liberals have definitely leaned that way. And uh, that's and he's you know part of the liberal. He was actually part of the problem. He was actually closing up kind of loopholes, income splitting, all these things. And there was a lot of talk about infrastructure spending by the liberals, which is actually helping the to grow the economy. That hasn't happened. It's been caught yeah. up in red tape. So little as that has happened. So you're not seeing. So there's two ways to look at it. You know, redistribute. You know, tax more, redistribute wealth, and that's more what's been going on rather than growing the pie, get the pie bigger so that everybody, there's a bigger economy. We're more you know, competitive against our peer countries. And then there's more money to go around to redistribute wealth. Mm-hmm. So it's always finding that fine balance. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm more about trying to see, it'd be nice from my perspective to see the country grow more and be yeah. more competitive and have a larger economy. And therefore the GDP gets larger. And you know what? Everybody's better off. And at the end of the day, we're finding high inflation, uh, lots of stresses going on right now for the average family. And it, you know, that kind of union mentality, if you will, of trying to redistribute the wealth. If the companies aren't making enough money, um, it, you have to lay people off. And, and so having a bigger economy is a good thing. And so, you know, nothing's worse than stress is losing a job. Hmm. And so having a higher income, getting bigger raises, that helps relieving helps to relieve financial stress. I know, Gary, that's uh, that's hot off your topic today. Yeah, you know, and uh, I mean, a lot of people listen to these types of discussions or read about them. And I think to many people that are experiencing hardships of varying kinds, uh, it's it's all macro stuff, right? It's all, okay, well, yes, fundamentally, uh, this makes sense versus that and so on. But uh, really, down at the grassroots level, uh, there is certainly there's a lot of reasons right now that, that people are feeling uh, a lot of financial stress or, or anxiety. There's some new research out from uh, from one of Canada's big big six banks that highlights how financial stress can actually set in quickly, even in early childhood. And a lot of that is just uh, younger people uh, listening to what's going on, hearing their parents talk and so on. And um you know, I think I think anybody who has uh, struggled growing up in terms of the family finances and so on um, learned at a very early age that 
that when there are difficulties, it, it, it permeates into a number of different, different areas. So uh, CIBC actually uh, put out a, a, a new poll that said approximately 65% of young people age 18 to 24 are concerned about their living expenses. Now, on the surface, we could look at that and say, well, how can that be? Because most 18 to 24 year olds are probably still living at home, at least part time. And uh, parents are supporting them in varying degrees. So, you know, how can that be the case? But there's a lot of reasons for that. And the most common source of financial stress is a, is a lack of disposable income. And 38 uh, percent identified that this is a significant financial issue. Uh, 69% of, of these young respondents consider themselves as excellent savers, but only 42% in today's world believe that they're, um, they're able to save. Uh, creating and maintaining uh, that savings habit in the early years has become a huge challenge. I mean, Don and Scott, you've, you've talked many times uh, over the years on the show, and uh, we see it, Don, in our, our practice on a regular basis. Um, parents are very interested generally in, in educating their, their kids as they're growing uh, so that they can learn more and more about the financial landscape and uh, oftentimes ask us to, to uh, share some thoughts with them. Absolutely, Gary. And it's interesting, probably most of the education is at the kitchen table. You know, it's talking to the, you know, the parents are having a conversation. It could be about investing or it could be about, oh, we're behind in our bills. And those are two different, very different conversations that the parents are having in front of the kids, which is contagious. And it's amazing how kids literally pick up the same type of habits that their parents are doing. Right. And it's generational. In fact, there's like four generations of US, in the U.S. of welfare recipients because of that's what they're talking about. And I'm sure there's also four or five generations of great businesses that are business owners because that's what their parents were doing. And they talked about how do we grow business? And so the conversations are contagious and the kids are slapping it up. They're just soaking it all up yeah. and it's a big deal. Here's another thing that I've noticed just in the last few years. So I would say five years or so, and my kids are teenagers and one in, in university. Um, and that is they are becoming more financially literate through school. They are trying, you can right. see it. They're trying to work that in. And, and that's mm -hmm. interesting too, is at least they're getting that vibe as well uh, in the classroom. You know, and we uh, often congratulate parents when, when they are working at trying to educate their kids or they ask yeah. us to speak with them and so on, because, because those habits certainly are mirrored in many, many cases. Uh, interestingly enough, the poll also uh, in, uh, found that, uh, uh, Gen Z or Zoomers, uh, so those are those are kids born between '97 and, and 2012. They're just to what your point, Scott. What you were saying, they're more open about their finances than previous generations in their minds. That's the way that they responded, and they're more willing to accept guidance as well. Now, 69% of this group, the same group, said that people in their age group are more open to talking about money than their parents, who who would be basically Gen X, so age in today's world, age 42 to 57, in that range. Um, more interested in talking about money than their parents were at the same age. That's their perception. So uh, that's interesting. Now, the same 18 to 24-year-old group uh, also expressed concern about keeping up with their contemporaries. So almost that competitive spirit in terms of how am I doing financially at such a young age versus 
other people in my, uh, you know, in my, uh, my age range and so on. Yeah. 50%. We find that with adults too, Gary. Oh, you know, sure. I often, I often think I get that question. Well, how am I doing versus the average? Right, right. How are we yeah. doing? So we're 50 years old, yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera. How are we doing compared to, to other people that, and, you know, we both know the answer to that. And, you know, we, we can't compare because there's so many factors that vary. And um, in but fact, I always a, like to say my own answer is you don't really want to be considered average. You don't want to compare right. yourself against that because the <laughs> average point. isn't all that good. OK, right. You want to be far better than average. Definitely. Yeah. So, at, you know, at, the, at a time when we're facing all these economic and geopolitical challenges, you know, it's even more difficult when we're talking about financial stress. It's even more difficult, um, you know, for advisors advisors i should say and clients uh both to make sure that they're they're connecting so we reach out to people on a regular basis but also it's important that clients reach out to us when they uh they have concerns or, or questions um because that gives us an opportunity to you know uh provide our our perspective on things you know again with what's going on with the markets right now and with interest rates uh, people are looking for uh an explanation wouldn't you say, Don, in terms of you know, what's happening and why? And uh, so when we're able to actually explain the dynamics of what's going on, you know, why are markets down? Um, you know, what, and, and why are interest rates increasing? And I think most people are catching on to the fact that, that inflation is the driver in many ways of both of those, those situations. So providing that guidance is, uh, is really critical. And, you know, in terms of the financial stress factor, there's so many people that are overwhelmed with what's going on in the world now and, and feeling a, a, a loss of control in, in many ways, uh, whether it's market activity or, or inflation in general, interest rates, or of course, the, the, the geopolitical things that are, that are going on. So it's our responsibility as advisors. It comes right down to that. It's our responsibility to help manage clients' expectations, to uh, have the conversations that help clients really understand what, why they have the emotions that they do, whether they're positive or, or, or otherwise. And because those emotions can sometimes lead to, you know, and we've seen it certainly, Don, uh, to really irrational decisions and uh, poor financial choices along the way. Um, chasing past returns and, and making uh, impulsive investment changes and so on. Uh, you know, we've seen, we've seen people go through those, those uh, thought processes at different times. Uh, in stressful times, uh, clients also fall into the trap of fixating on their investment returns as the only real measurement of their, their financial success, yeah. as opposed to looking at the big picture, as opposed to looking at their net worth. As, you know, because that net worth figure is is really the 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 one thing. If we if we bring everything down to one thing, it's the one thing that really allows people to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And, and that's an interesting thought, Gary, because talking about oh net worth increases is is okay, but it's not nearly as exciting or sexy as saying oh my stock doubled last week. Where I was in crypto and it went up like crazy. Now, of course, they're not talking about it as much because it's down so much. And so, yeah, human beings, just their, just the, the DNA gets in the way of that fear and greed gets in the way of success. And also what, you know, they can discuss and, you know, net worth is obviously very private. We talk about this. Um, obviously, everything is confidential. But uh, it's not something it's kind of boring, you know, to slowly go up your net worth six or seven percent a year as opposed to the ladder of watching your money double quickly, which is far more exciting. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and with all this going on, I mean, you know, as advisors, what we really need to do is uh, help people take a step back and, uh, and look at their own financial plan. And what does their plan say they should be doing at this point in time? Look at their long-term goals and, uh, and the state of their overall, as I said, their overall net worth. Um, clients who are retired, one of the major concerns right now because of inflation is, is how is that going to impact their, their long-term you know, retirement situation? Because, because inflation, you've, you've mentioned this before, Don, inflation is, um, can be such a dagger in terms of, of throwing things off, off course. Yeah, absolutely. Inflation is like a little cancer in your portfolio. So what we had thought your spending habits will be in the future all of a sudden are greater because of inflation. And, you know, we can forecast all this all we want, but this is why you need a, a very comprehensive financial plan to make sure you're on, on sure footing that has the what ifs, such as an increase of inflation. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. How do borrow at 1%? We're seeing interest rates going up. Is this still possible? Yeah, you know what? The prime is now, the prime lending rate is at 3.7. So those that have a line of credit at prime plus a quarter, which is basically one of the best rates you can get, you're now paying 3.95 on your line of credit. And of course, if you're higher than that, it's higher than that, uh, that interest rate. Uh, borrowing 1% seems like, okay, that's impossible. Well, interestingly enough, the prescribed rate is 1%. And this is the rate that we, we can lend to your spouse, as, if, as an example, and in, in what an opportunity for income splitting. So this is one of the least used areas of income splitting, probably because it does take a fair bit of money to do it to make it worthwhile. And when we talk about income splitting, what's the benefit of it? Well, basically, it's income splitting is moving money from the higher income spouse to the lower income spouse. And so if, if somebody is in a higher tax bracket, say a 40%, and you can move money from a 40% tax bracket to a 20% bracket, you're gaining 20% by doing that. And we, we do this all the time. Pension splitting is awesome. It, it's been around for quite some time. Actually, I was going back to when it first came out. I thought it was too good to be true. Can you do this, uh, for example, if one spouse is working and, and you know, a highly demanding job and the other spouse is not? Can you do this as well, or do they both have to be working? No, you can do this. In fact, that's where it makes the most sense when when there's a stay at home spouse or a very low income earning spouse. Yeah. And you're moving money from the higher income spouse to the lower one. And this is a great technique. And again, income splitting, as I mentioned, is just about that moving money based on tax bracket. And you know what? I know in the U.S. and some of the states, this they do an, uh, an aggregate tax return. They simply add the two incomes together and divide by two, which is really the perfect income splitting. And I was speaking to a client there had, that had moved to North Carolina. And they said, wow, I wish that was in Canada. Well, that is not the case in Canada. So we do everything we can to try to 
find ways to move money from a higher income spouse to a lower income spouse. Now that one rule with, with pension splitting makes a big difference. For example, if you had a spouse that was making 100,000 and another spouse that was earning say 20,000, well, it'd be simple. In fact, it's right in the tax program to hit a, a pension optimization button. You hit that button and automatically would move approximately 20,000 from the $100,000 income earner to the $20,000 income earner. So then therefore the higher income earner goes to 80,000 and the lower income earner goes from 20,000 to 40,000. Well, this is a great opportunity because right off the get-go, it saves when it's all said and done, it saves about $4,500 in income tax by doing that. And absolutely no brainer. This is done all the time. And uh, when I say, and this is also, particularly if there's somebody's at 65, um, you know, this is the example I use in this, uh, this figure, you're also getting back some of the old age security clawback because once you make over $80,000, you're losing 15 cents on the dollar of old age security. So it's a great opportunity from pension splitting to do it. Well, going back to the 1% loan, how is this going to help you here? Well, same idea. You lend money from the higher income spouse would lend money to the lower income spouse and they would invest those funds. So let's say right now the higher income Spouse has now got, uh, you know, an extra, and just for a really easy figure, a million dollars invested somewhere. And it's earning 3.5%. Well, that's $35,000 of income that they're paying tax on because on the higher incomes. Well, let's say you can lend that now to the lower income spouse. Well, right now, and this is a deal, like this will not, this is not going to last long. This, this rate goes up, is looked at every quarter. So this will last until July 1st. There's talk right now, and I don't know, I was on a few websites earlier this week, and it sounds to me that it's going to go back up to 2%, which is pre-pandemic rates again, which makes sense. But this is kind of like a sale right now on this uh, on interest rates that you can actually borrow or lend money to your spouse at 1% right now. And now he or she is now investing those funds at 3.5%. So yes, you, the, the spouse that is on borrowing the money has to pay 1%, but now they get to invest it at the higher rate. So it takes money from the high rate and over to the low rate. Why wouldn't you just say, uh, honey, I've got 100000 or whatever. I want to invest in something. Here it is. Go to the, your whatever and do that. Why do you even have to use the 1%? Yeah, or is that, great, or would, great that be, would that be considered under the table? In a way, it's uh, under the Canadian tax laws. That's the under the table rule. Right. Absolutely. Okay. You can't do it. And they have something called attribu attribution rules. So you can't just gift money to your spouse. So if you all of a sudden got an inheritance of a million dollars, you just can't say, okay, here's 500,000 and we'll just split it because that is your money. You inherited it. Your, your, your wife or husband didn't inherit half that money. So that's why they have these attribution rules so that they don't simply give money over to the lower income spouse. I know, Gary, you, you probably work with this a lot yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, it's, it's a, I would say that's a little known fact, right? In terms of uh, people, people just assuming that, you know, in, in, a, in a marital situation, what's mine is yours kind of thing. And, and that attribution is uh, something that uh, I think CRA looks at very closely. And, uh, you know, we certainly, we certainly advise people to that effect because, uh, it's it's just not that simple, mm. and inheritances, you know. I guess 
what what commonly happens too, really quickly, is if someone inherits, say, three hundred thousand uh, dollars, one one spouse, and they decide to put that down on their their mortgage, their uh, on on their joint mortgage. You know, that's an issue. Maybe Don, you want to just elaborate on? Yeah, that too. absolutely. Now, if you took that money and added it to the mortgage, no harm, no foul. That's not right. really that's not investing. So right. that's not going to attract any of the um, attribution rules. Right. It's only when you invest money to earn an income. And that's a great point, Gary. Right. If you were to right. pay down debt, no problem. And that's a, that adds to some other questions, whether you want to do that. And I'll get to that in a second. But so there is a spousal loan at 1%. Again, this is a hot deal only till July 1st. I wouldn't count on after this. And But you can also do this to a minor child. You can lend money to a minor child. So back when Bill Marneau, we're not, when back in when he was a finance minister, as we talked about earlier, he was he got rid of some of these loopholes, and one of them was paying dividends to a my, a, a child, and it helped with kids going to university, etc. As shareholders, well, they got rid of that rule, so they couldn't be done anymore unless they're actually active in the business. Well, this is one way that you can actually lend money to a minor child and bring up the minor child's income. Now, the you you should form a trust. This should be lent to a trust. So that you know, it, it's more secure because you don't really want to have an under 18 year old having access to a lot of funds. But it, it is it is the same idea, and uh, it allows for that income splitting amongst the family. Um, you can also, if you're an employer, lend money at the same one percent to a uh, an employee. So if you own a company and you have a, a key employee, it could be your it could be related. You can still lend money at the prescribed rate. It's not a taxable benefit until the prescribed rate goes over 1%, which is still a great rate. So let's say you had 100,000 extra in the business, you wanna help out your, your child uh, buy a house with the money. The corporation can lend the money to the employee who happens to be working with the company, lends 100,000, and now the prescribed rate goes to 2%. Well, under the rules, once it jumps over the 1%, that extra 1% is a taxable benefit. Well, still, if it's a taxable benefit, it's only on 1%. And if you're in a, even if you're in a, you know, a 40% tax bracket, meaning you're making about 100,000 a year, you would pay you know, 0.4% on that 1% benefit. Still a great deal. You cannot borrow money for a house at that rate. So there is ways for business owners to use this. It's extremely important. Now, even one extra wrinkle to this, if it's for a home, as my example said, you actually can lock in that 1% prescribed rate loan for up to five years. So you imagine getting a five-year mortgage right now at 1%, great deal. So this is another thing that an employer can lend money to their employee and give them this, this great rate and it, to buy a house for five years. After that, it becomes a taxable benefit based on the current rates at that time. End of the day though, what a great way to support key employees. Um, and if it's family business, maybe family members. And also, uh, you know, under the 1% rule, just using it, helping with spouses, equalizing income splitting, or even with younger kids. So here's an example. Let's say the wife, Mrs. Smith, as an example, inherited $2 million from her parents. And she invested it at three and a half percent. Well, let's say Mr. and Mrs. Smith are both over 65 years old. They both make 45,000 
They have done everything Gary and I have talked about over the years. They are the perfect income splitters. They're both at the, at the lowest marginal tax bracket at 20%. They're getting their old age security. Life is good for the Smiths. They have followed this. They've listened to the show. They're loving life. <laughs> and at the same time, they know they get this $2 million. Again, not a bad problem. Well, the problem is, though, she invests the money because Mrs. Smith got the money at 3.5%. All of a sudden, that's $70,000 added to her income. She is now making $115,000. And she will end up losing $5,250 of old age security. About 68% of her old age security would be clawed back. And she also would pay about $23,000 extra in income tax. So... You know, she's not too pleased about this. Like, again, yes, thanks for the money. I'm, you know, parents, thanks for the inheritance. It's all good that way. But what if she were to lend? Uh, the other problem is, you know, going about the under the table, Scott, if you just gave some of this money. Now, that's not legal. Okay. And a lot of, I would suggest a lot of people just don't know they can't give money. So they're not doing it um to try to break laws they just un are un unaware that you can't say hey here's half the money honey and you you invest one million i invest one million and again what would happen is it, it would raise a red flag because why is both spouses going up by such a high income all in one year so yeah would, red flags would go up and they might get an audit so the other part of it, if you give money to a spouse there's other things to consider because all of a sudden if you you know what if there's a marriage breakup See, an inheritance goes outside the Family Law Act. So that does not form part of their matrimonial assets. So even if there was a marriage breakup, Mrs. Smith would keep her $2 million. Okay. And also if it's a second marriage, okay, what about the kids? Okay. Uh, the split families is very common. So, well, this is really my kids' grandparents and they deserve to have this money. So again, by doing this, the whole idea of, of estate planning becomes an issue. So, so it's, it's important to think of all, acts, um, all avenues, not simply the tax planning when you're doing something like this. That's such a great point, Don, and, and other examples of exactly what you're talking about uh, would be obviously uh, large capital gains if one spouse owned a, a property and sold it to throw off the, uh, the equalization that they were, they were attempting with their income splitting. Uh, uh, workers comp lump sum payouts at 65. Which, which is a, another example that happens to, to some people. So that's a, that's a great example. Yeah, uh, yeah, basically any big windfall, Gary. Yeah, yeah. You know, anytime there's a big windfall, sale of a business, a big capital gain, uh, any liquidity event where all of a sudden one spouse gets a lot of money from something, um, this here, and again, this only goes to July 1st at this rate. It still goes on after July 1st, except there's likely to be 2% after that. Mm -hmm. So in this example, let's say now Mrs. Smith lends 1.4 million dollars at one percent to invest so mr smith can now invest this money well he invested at the same three and a half percent so now mrs smith has six hundred thousand invested at at three and a half percent so that would give her twenty one thousand dollars she also lends money at one uh, 1.4 million to mr smith and she gets one percent interest so in total there's $14,000 of interest she gets from her spouse because it has to be, you know, a real, a real loan. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, you can't just do it. So it's best to have it on paper, witnessed by a lawyer that this is legit and has a date because that's the important part of when they got this loan done. So now her, she will end up getting interest income of 21,000 
plus the $14,000, $35,000, plus that she makes $45,000 to begin with. So she, her income is now $80,000. Why is that important? Because now she doesn't have any old age security clawback. She's at the threshold. So Mr. Smith, he has now got $1.4 million to invest. Well, not bad at three and a half percent. That's $49,000. So, you know, the listeners are doing the masses. Well, 45,000 plus the four that he was making plus the 49,000 of this interest income. This puts him way above the OAS clawback. He, he, uh, Mr. Smith kind of gets the short end of the stick here. Well, not really, because that 1% that he is paying to his wife, it's tax deductible. Because when you borrow for investment purposes, you get to write off the interest costs. So that 1% is a $14,000 deduction. That So Mrs. Smith is getting $14,000. He gets to write off $14,000 as a tax deductible interest expense. So now his income is $35,000 of interest income after writing off that 1% um, loan. So now they both are making $80,000. They're right back to where I you're back to being perfect income splitters. Life is good. And what does this do at the end of the day? Well, they end up saving a fair bit of money. Um, $13,000 at tax savings is what Mrs. Smith gets, um, including the OAS clawbacks she will end up getting back. And they, I know you have to pay tax on this old age security. So the net result, she's about 17,000 in the good by income splitting. Now he's not as good, well off. He has to now pay more tax. So he is now about 11.4. He has to pay extra tax. He loses some of his old age credit and he has all this extra income. Well, at the end of the day though, when you net it all out and that's what really matters. This is what income splitting is all about. It's not, well, I have to pay more tax and you have to pay less tax. This isn't fair. These are the arguments I often hear. It says, no, no, let's work as a team here. $5,300 <laughs> in tax savings as a team. Okay. Work as a team, everybody. You'll end in, you know what, if you don't work as a team, who is the benefactor? Right. The Axe government. Man. Of course. Tax men. Of course. Okay. And we want, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith of this world to be the benefactors of this $5,300 tax savings. We do not want the government. And so this is all part of a comprehensive financial plan. This is tax planning. This is what kind of value a true financial planner can add a situation, particularly when there's a liquidity event, such as an inheritance or a sale of a business or whatever the case is. At the end of the day, we want you to have more money in your pocket after tax. As a team. As a team. As a team. <laughs> so this is as much marriage planning as it is uh, financial planning, as usually it is with situations <laughs> like this. All right. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to have a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905 972 
800-516-7420. Boy, here's something we haven't talked about in a while. That's inflation. <laughs> uh, boy, it, it just seems to be the uh, the red hot word nowadays, Gary. You know, it's it's come up uh, today a couple of times already in different ways. And, and so uh, I think what we should do is, is talk about how those rising costs that, that, that people are experiencing, how that's affecting, uh, impacting household budgets. And what's interesting, you know, you know that I like to report on different surveys and so on, because I think it's, it's, it's often telling, but sometimes when we look at, at the percentages that, uh, that various uh, survey companies have reported in terms of what people are, how people respond, it is surprising. So let's see if, uh, if any of these seem like they, they should be more or less. So um, more than six in 10 respondents to a, to a BMO uh, uh, poll that, that just came out, six to 10 respondents said that their personal financial situation has been noticeably impacted by inflation. Oh, that's a no brainer. That's obviously the case. Um, but 25%, almost 25% said that their finances are in worse shape than one year ago. One year is a fairly short period of time. I think we would agree in terms of looking at your overall situation, looking at your expenditures versus your income, et cetera. So uh, I think that's, um, that's pretty significant. And I'm personally, I'm a little bit surprised that it was only 25% because it's, people are talking about it all the time. Mm. Um, 52% have reduced their household spending already. Uh, they're changing how they shop for groceries, uh, they're, they're selecting more inexpensive items. They're reprioritizing the, what they would consider to be their essentials. And more than half have reduced uh, dining out costs by either, either going out less frequently or spending less when they do. Just what the restaurants needed to hear. Huh? Exactly. Going the pandemic. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and the other thing, of course, speaking of the restaurants, we'll, we're still seeing, uh, uh, signs all over looking for for people to work yeah yeah you know and and just can't get enough people to to give them this the level of service that they they're really looking for uh 34 are driving less they're using their vehicles less to cut down on on the escalating gas prices you know all these things make sense but that's a fairly large percentage of people that are that are proactively making attempts to to use their vehicles less um, 29% are canceling vacations. Now, I was a little bit surprised when I saw that number because it seems like, you know, post-pandemic, things are building up again. People are, are uh, really looking forward to getting away, making up for, for lost time and so on. Uh, yeah, they probably got in the, the whole excitement of planning a vacation and then realized, whoa, well, we can't afford it right now. So exactly, you know, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you make the emotional decision, and it follows up by the reality of what what are the new costs. Maybe I'm end. wrong. Maybe I'm wrong here, but the air travel is probably the only industry at this point that hasn't felt that pinch because we're all talking. We, we're coming out of the pandemic. We want to do stuff, and then you go, "Holy smokes, this is costing me a fortune." I think travel is right. probably the only one where people are still, "Well, we haven't done it in two and a half years, so we're just going to bite the bullet and go." Yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot of truth to that, and and people are even uh, in terms of the responses, people are even canceling subscriptions to gyms, to uh, to cable, cutting back on cable and and things like that, and that that uh, reflected 23% of all respondents that that commented in that regard. So, if we look at housing costs, uh, you know, they're obviously it's not surprising they're they're the largest burden, I guess, if you will. Um, 
that that people have when it comes to people that have mortgages and so on um, and and monthly bills so 37% of respondents said that it's really difficult to to manage the costs of their homes overall and monthly bills just general bills 30% said that they're having a great deal of difficulty with that and uh, of course uh, high interest credit card debt there was 23% that said that uh, it's just it's just really difficult to make the the payment. So this is significant because uh, you know even during the pandemic, certainly for different reasons, we weren't experiencing this type of of situation. People were were saving money because they weren't doing things. Uh, a separate poll from CIBC also highlights how difficult it has become for homeowners to balance. Obviously, the rising mortgage payments. We talked about interest rates going up. Uh, it's predicted that with the cost of living and higher interest rates, thirty six percent of people with a variable rate mortgage are likely to switch to a fixed rate mortgage in the next 12 months, 36%. Wow. Fundamentally, we understand how that makes sense. But what that will do is add to their immediate expenses because their fixed rates are gonna be, be higher in the short term. Um, and people that are renting have almost given up the ship in terms of, of buying at, uh, at this point in time. It's, uh, it's an interesting place to be, and I'm going to ask you a question and none of you can answer it, but where do you see this going? I mean, I mean, nobody has a crystal ball here. We've used that phrase many times, but how long do you see this going on? And I asked the same thing of, of Don when the interest rates were so low, how long they were going to stay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think, I don't think we, we really know. There's different theories. There's different uh, pundits, quotation marks, pundits that, <laughs> that, that have experts that have very specific thoughts about it. But uh, I mean, we're going to see another interest rate increase in July. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here we go. So it's hard to say. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Quick break here. We're coming right back to finish the show. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. All right, we're going to wind up the show with some investment tips that uh, are timeless. Yes, and you know, timeless investment tips for today's markets, it never changes. You know what? And legendary Merrill Lynch market strategist Bob Farrell developed a list of 10 rules of investing that remains heavily quoted more than 20 years after he's retired. So I guess if it's uh, good enough for the, you know, all these years, I, I'm going to just go with this. And I thought this would be a great way to kind of look at today's environment and say, well, okay, does it apply now? And the short answer is always applies. So 10 rules are number one, Markets tend to return to the mean over time. So when there's over-exuberance and you see market returns of 30%, the average is 10%, it, you know it's got to work its way back down to an average of 10%. That's just what always what that's what the average means. The mean and the average, by the way, is the exact same word. So number two, excessive excesses in one direction will lead to the opposite excess in the other. Well, have we not seen cryptocurrencies recently? OK, 
okay, yeah. or the Fang stocks, you know, the Facebook, etc., when they were going up by a hundred percent or more, and then all of a sudden they're down by fifty percent. In fact, the opposite excess actually continues to happen the other way, so they actually get to the point where they're cheap again and and probably undervalued. Uh, number three, there is no new era. Let me repeat that. There is no new era. It's the same. It's ice cream, different flavors of ice cream, but it's still ice cream. And we always have this time. It's different. It isn't different. We just go through this gyration all the time. Number four, exponentially rapid rising or falling markets usually go further than you think, but they do not correct by going sideways. So I look at this and I say, okay, is this not the housing market? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, it, it went up by 30% and it went up by a lot. People often think, well, it's just going to level out for the next while till it gets back to the average. We're already seeing housing markets prices drop by eight or 9%. Uh, this particular article is saying that it would not be surprising to see it drop by 20 to 30% to get back to where they should be based on um, in, um, population growth. Hmm. Uh, the public buys the most at the top and the least at the bottom. Okay. So when you're buying, when's the best time to buy? When it's cheap. We do that for bananas. We do that for everything else. We don't do this with stocks. I just want to wait till it comes back a little bit more before. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's better later. It's better later. And uh, you know what? Um, Warren Buffett says stocks are socks. You still want to buy them when they're cheap. Mm, yeah. It's and, funny uh, that that doesn't resonate more with people because everybody knows the, the phrase, uh, you know, buy low, sell high, but that doesn't seem to resonate. Yeah, always. behavior. And this is why the whole behavior gap, people's behavior yeah. actually costs them more than any other thing, any other fees, any other part of the equation of return is actually human behavior. Now, talking of which, number six, fear and greed are stronger than their long term resolve. And left to their own devices, people are left to fear and greed. And this is where having a, a good financial planner slash psychiatrist will help keep you on track so that you don't get caught up in your own fears and grief and give you some reassurance that you got to hang on or the opposite. Do not leverage the house and buy. It's, you know, just because the market's up 20% in your date doesn't mean you should add more and everybody likes to um, extrapolate the markets both up and down. It doesn't work that way. Um, number seven, markets are strongest when they're broad and weakest when they're narrow to a handful of blue chip names. And we saw this oh, quite a long time when Nortel was, was dropping and going up for that matter. With Nortel and Bell and, you know, they were just going, they're actually pulling the whole market up. And so that was not considered a strong market. And what we have seen recently up until this year was a stronger, broader market. Now, number eight, bear markets have three stages, a sharp down, a reflexive rebound, and a drawn down fundamental downtrend. And we saw this sharp down during the pandemic. And then all of a sudden it was a massive incline and everything got back to normal by September. Now, we've started to see this so far this year, sharp in, in, um, decline, bit of a rebound, it's up about 5%. And time will tell whether this we're in a bear market or not. Most experts feel that is not the case. Now, number nine kind of goes against what I just said. When all experts and forecasters agree, something else is going to happen. 
<laughs> and this is the case when I'm the more I'm hearing about experts saying, well, we got a recession on the horizon. It's going to happen. I'm actually reassured. Oh, good. When they're talking about recession, usually means there isn't one. And number 10 is very obvious. But bull markets are way more fun than bear markets. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yes. And that's when people are making money. It's like there's a party going on and people start spending more because there's this inherent feeling that they have more money, even though it's only paper. And it's amazing how people will pull back psychologically, both on spending and trips and everything else, because, oh, well, my net worth is decreased. Well, you weren't spending that money anyway. So again, this has always been the case, time tested and true. And I, I love this top 10 list. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more about them at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another award-winning show, gentlemen. Thanks so much. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.